today's episode, we discuss the tragic and horrible death of little baby Brianna and Harry Powers. You are listening to Bad in the Boondocks, baby. Bad in the Boondocks Bad in the Boondocks People put it down But what you're supposed to do In a small town Bad in the Boondocks Bad in the Boondocks Lord have mercy Can't help me Bad in the Boondocks Hey everybody and welcome to Bad in the Boondocks. As always, I am one of your hosts, Stan. And I'm Drew. And we are so glad that you are out there on the airwaves with us. Um, quick note, I want everyone, I know we have some faithful followers, some faithful listeners, and I would love it if you would just pass the word on. Maybe put us on your social media or tell a friend that you think would like to hear us and get the word out there so others can enjoy Bad in the Boondocks as much as you do. Um, Other than that, stick with us and leave us a rating, leave us a review, leave us an email. Tell us what we need to do differently. Tell us that we're awesome. Um, We don't mind hearing that. Not at all. (laughs) But I'm going to warn you from the get-go, my story this week is an extremely hard one to take in. It was hard researching it. It was hard writing about it. And I'm sure it will be hard listening to it. it. I never thought that I would ever include a trigger warning. However, I am with this one. If child abuse, child death sets you off, you will want to skip ahead of my story. Um, But if you're brave, if you have a bottle of wine, a glass of whiskey, and you're ready to down it while becoming a downer by listening to this, it's my turn to go first, and I'm going to get right into it. All right, you do that. All right, my story has to do with Brianna Maria Lopez. Brianna Maria Lopez was tortured every day of her five-month-old life, and then she was murdered. Her mother, Stephanie Lopez, father, Andrew Walters, and uncle, Stephen Lopez. The autopsy concluded that baby Brianna died from cranial cerebral injuries. She suffered 13 human bite marks throughout her entire body, bruising and scraping injuries throughout her head, as well as on the upper forehead. She suffered a blunt force injury to her head in the last three days or less of her life, which resulted in a large subdural hematoma on her brain. Baby Brianna had bleeding within the membranes around her brain, as well as around her optical nerves, which meant that she had been violently shaken. Additionally, she had a significant abrasion on her buttocks when 
which went into the buttocks and was consistent with sexual assault. The baby's anus had no muscle tone and was gaped open. And at her autopsy, it was observed that her anal opening was dilated a full inch. The internal examination showed a half-inch injury inside the anal opening as well as significant vaginal trauma to the labia minor and three tears to her hymen. Brianna's skull had five to seven-day-old fractures in two places on two different bones. Both old and new blood were present, indicating a previous injury to the brain as well. Brianna had two rib fractures that were weeks old and bucket handle fractures on both thigh bones and a fracture of her left arm. What is bucket handle fractures? Well, I'm glad you asked. And I'll look it up real quick. Okay. Um, also, I am going to have pictures, some pictures of the body. It is just such a serious case and such a horrible, I meant horrible, but I will not include all of them. You can look them up and find them your own. Uh, bucket handle fractures. Mm-hmm. Okay. A bucket handle fracture is a child bone fracture. It's a medical condition in which a bone of a child is cracked or broken. Are you serious? Oh, no, that's child bone fracture. <laughs> it, I think it's, it's just another name for a child bone fracture. They call it a bucket handle fracture. Okay. It's a corner fracture. All right. Okay, so that means that where the growing plates are, yeah, that's where it's broken at. Okay, that makes more sense. Okay. All right. Brianna Lopez, who is also known to many as Baby Brianna, was a baby girl who was born in a New Mexico hospital on Valentine's Day of 2002 to her mother, Stephanie Lopez, and her father, Andy Walters. She would have turned 11 years old on February the 14th, 2013, but sadly, she never made it. When baby Brianna left the hospital after her birth, she moved into a home in Las Cruces, New Mexico, shared by her parents and uncle, Stephen Lopez. The abuse started almost immediately. Instead of hugs and kisses, Brianna received slaps and pinches. She was tormented on a daily basis, both verbally and physically. Slapped, kicked, punched, pinched, thrown, raped, etc. You name it, this little infant endured it. When Brianna would cry at the pain that was inflicted on her, her abusers would laugh and stuff her mouth with clothing to muffle her screams. Her own mother would bite and pinch her when she got frustrated by the crying. But for the most part, it was the infant's father and uncle who tormented her while Stephanie, the mother, sat back and ignored her daughter's cries. Baby Brianna was what many would consider a strong baby. 
because she managed to survive 153 days despite coming into this cruel world weighing only several pounds. On the evening of July 18, 2002, Andy went out to purchase beer, and when he came home, they all proceeded to get drunk. Stephanie claimed to have had only a few beers before heading to bed in the same room the others were in. During this time, both Andy and Stephen decided to play their own sick, demented game where they would toss little Brianna up in the air, let her hit the ceiling, and watch her tumble to the ground. They would later tell authorities that Brianna was screaming and wailing when this was happening. Apparently, Stephanie didn't hear her daughter screaming and crying. Early the next morning on July the 19th of 2002, at approximately 7.15 a.m., Stephanie awoke to Brianna crying, and she noticed fresh bruises on her and asked the others what happened. They told her that they may have been a little too rough with her last night. She accepted their answer and ignored her child's injuries. That same morning, Stephanie noticed Brianna needed a diaper change, and Andy volunteered to do it. That's the father. During the diaper change, he wrapped a baby wipe around his finger and inserted it into Brianna's anus. He also sodomized her with foreign objects. When Stephanie noticed Brianna near death, she ignored it, and she decided to wait several hours before calling an ambulance. When she did find the time to call them, she lied and told them her daughter had fallen from her high chair. Apparently, she was delusional enough to think authorities would buy that story. The first officer to see Brianna in the hospital was Detective Lindell Wright. He remembers one thought going through his mind. Quote, I've got a lot to do, unquote. He said, literally bruised from head to toe, from top of her head all throughout her body, all the way to the big toe on her right foot. They took a sadistic joy out of torturing this infant. Not one family member cared about her. Not one of them attempted to protect her, and there's zero proof to suggest that she was ever shown love in her short life. She was only there for their own sadistic amusement. When police searched the home, they couldn't find one toy. They could not even find one photo of Brianna laughing or smiling. No evidence to indicate that she enjoyed one moment of her life. Officer Wright has seen a lot during his career, but Brianna's case will haunt him for life. Quote, I cried my eyes out. It will stay with me for the rest of my life. It tests you to the point you're not sure you can speak. You're afraid that the emotion will take over. Unquote. At the time Brianna was murdered, a person who committed intentional child abuse resulting in death faced a maximum of 18 years in prison. 18 years for the life of a child. It took three years of trying, and in 2005, Senate Bill 166, also known as the Baby Brianna Bill, 
was officially signed into law by Governor Bill Richardson. The bill made child abuse, which results in death, a first-degree felony in New Mexico and set the mandatory minimum sentence at 30 years in prison. Three relatives, including her grandparents, were sentenced to 30 days in jail for failing to report the abuse. And the maximum is one year for that. But they got a total of 30 days. Wow. Stephanie Lopez was convicted of negligent child abuse after she failed to do anything to help her child. The New Mexico Corrections Department said that she could be released as early as September 28th of 2016 at the time. That would be less than 15 years for her daughter's torture death. The New Mexico State Parole Board was sure that she would be released, provided that she would find a suitable home and she would meet the requirements of her release conditions. Wait. So she would be released... And I don't understand. Find a suitable home. What are you talking about? Well, whenever you're released from prison, you have to have a stable, suitable home to stay in. You can't just go and be like, like if you don't have anywhere, you would have to live at a halfway house. Oh, okay. But you have to have a suitable place to live, like without drugs and stuff like that. Yeah. All right. And just as a sickening side note, Stephanie Lopez was paroled in 2016. So she's out? Yes. Oh, my gosh. The public was outraged when they heard about her release. Dozens created petitions, which quickly gained signatures, and many people even called the governor. Thousands of people in the community weeped over Brianna's horrific death. Mourners who never had the chance to meet Brianna in life came together for the baby girl in her life afterwards. They paid for her casket and burial and claimed her body when no one else did. So her parents stuff didn't even pay for her casket or anything. Well, no. I mean, after all that, why would anybody think they would? Her grave site became a memorial site with dozens of toys and flowers, something Brianna's family didn't approve of. Brianna's family and relatives did not put a penny towards the child's funeral, burial, and gravestone. They didn't even claim her. The community did. Her family didn't want Brianna to receive love even after her death and went out of their way to purchase a cage to go over her gravestone in an attempt to shield her. Really? Yes, they actually bought a cage and put it and got it put over the gravestone. The cage is a mess, unkempt and full of trash. Which they probably put there. The community refused to let Brianna and her story simmer and still placed flowers around the cage. They've also created another memorial site to visit and remember the little girl who never had a chance. When asked why they put a cage over Brianna's gravesite, Brianna's family had little to say. They were asked, and they said they just wanted to be left alone, and they wanted Brianna to be left alone. Inside the cage is a cherub. 
with a finger raised to her lips. Some people believe that it's a message. Some people believe it means let's not talk about what occurred here. The community vows to not let that happen. People still visit and leave flowers and have built another marker as well. Brianna's story has been told dozens of times and is still being told over a decade later on websites and online memorials, including Brianna Lopez's Last Memories and Facebook memorials such as In Loving Memory of Baby Brianna and on podcasts like this. The autopsy, the person who did the autopsy, when she, before she started, she took a picture of her because she said it just looked like she was asleep. Mm-hmm. Of course, she was bruised and battered, but she had it, um, the picture was photoshopped and it edited out all the marks, bruises, and scars. And she, it's the Brianna that the community likes to remember. I don't know how she stayed alive that long. I don't either. Um, the picture hangs on the wall next to the person who did the autopsy. It hangs on her wall by her desk. She said it's a reminder, of course, of why we do what we do. If you forget, you'll either become calloused or you will become jello. You can't do this job well unless you are in the middle. And that's just a good reminder why we do it. Brianna is never far from the detectives either. Quote, it drives me to work harder to prevent, to be a voice for every child of, of abuse, Wright said. Brianna Maria Lopez was buried at Donna Anna Cemetery in Donna Anna County, New Mexico. July 19, 2012, marked the 10th anniversary of the death of baby Brianna, and she would have been 11 years old. Rest in peace, Brianna M. Lopez. And that's mm. mine. That was a tough mm-hmm. one. And it's, it really puts it into perspective whenever you look at some of the pictures. Yeah. I don't... With the story, it just... How can pe- How can you do that? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. And I couldn't find like really what what's up with the father. What like what happened yeah. to him? I don't know. But I think the main thing, you know, it was just sickening that the mother. I mean, and I know it's might be stereotyping. Well, but you not, think I of mean, a mother. It's to be different. You think of a mother that carries that baby as its protector, you know, and it has that special bond. I mean, they're she just had the nothing. one that had the child, so. I hope that yours is. Um... Mine's not as bad. <laughs> Mine is not as bad. Okay. Andy Walters, the father, mm-hmm. served, is served, serving 48 years in prison. And her uncle serving 42 years. So why do they get more sent, more um, time? Well, because they were, I mean, it was, they did most of the actual abuse. Stephanie really, I mean, she bit her though. She, there's bite I marks mean, over. But, I mean, you can see every tooth, but. But I meant 
if all of them contributed to the death of the child, they all. But because I mean, they're saying that they, she died, I think, from them throwing her up and down. Yeah, like that's what I was thinking about. And that's what killed her, and she wasn't involved in that. Oh, wow. That's messed up there. However, because of Brianna's case, now murdering a child is now an automatic life sentence. Well, that's how it should have been. Yes, it should I don't, have been. I'm, I'm not sure why people thought that it was okay to do, what was it, a max sentence of 18 years? Yes. I mean, I don't understand it. Okay, well, let's cleanse our palate and go with your story now. I mean, mine's not. I'm just going to tell you, mine's not as good as yours. yours well, I wouldn't pretty, say mine's good. Yours was deep, though. It was very deep, yes. It was very deep, but it wouldn't, wasn't good. It was good as in touching. That's what I was saying. Oh, okay. It, it is. It was good as far as I meant. The only good thing out of it is that law no, came not about. The but there shouldn't even have to be a law because it shouldn't happen. No. All right. Well, <laughs> I guess I'll get it into mine. His name is Harry Powers. Um, He was born on November the 17th, 1892, in a small village of Berta in Holland. His birth name was Herman Drenn, and his family didn't have much money, and he had to work on local farms and with his mother, who owned a grocery store. He was known to be aggressive and problematic. In 1910 an opportunity came up for the family to immigrate to the USA. Herman went first because he had work on a farm, which his parents thought would be perfect for him to have a stable job and a chance to learn how to become a good citizen. Herman then decided to call himself Harry Powers, and instead of working on the farm when he got to the U.S., he decided to continue his deviant acts on a larger scale. He traveled around working as a petty thief until 1921 when he fell in love with a young lady named Rose Strickland. Rose was married and soon realized that she should not be seeing Harry. After the breakup, Harry was so devastated that he set her house on fire and was arrested and sent to prison. In 1927, he met Noel Astroturf, Huh, wait, no, wait, wait, wait. wait. Astroturf. Astroturf? It's exact. Spell it. A S T R O T U R F. That's not real. It's got to be. Astroturf? Yep. yep. Oh, no. That's um, a crime in its own. He Freaking met- Astroturf. <laughs> he met her through a matchmaking service called. Turf Online? A- no. Called a matrimonial bureau. That's like, that you know, that's like dating services, right? Yeah. These organizations were known as Lonely Hearts Clubs. Mm-hmm. They would be in the back of magazines yep, and yep. newspapers. Yeah. The couple married later that year and lived in Clarksburg, West Virginia. Harry was married and still put himself out there on these lonely, lonely heart clubs. Wait. It would be great if he took her name and was and Harry it, AstroTurf. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> in um, 1931, four years after marrying, his page read, Wealthy widow- widower 
worth $150,000 has income from $400 to $2,000 a month and listed his profession as a civil engineer. Asta, I think this is how you say it, Ad, Ad, Adja, <laughs> I think so. I think it's Asta Aja, but she was age 50, um, was a lonely widowed woman from Park Ridge, Illinois, who had three children, Greta, age 14, Harry, age 12, and Annabelle, age 9. Harry and Asta started talking and decided to meet. He told her that his name was Cornelius. Oh, that's a good name. I know. Cornelius. <laughs> so dorky. Um, and in early summer 1931, he made the trip to Park Ridge to meet her. He later stated in his letters that he had to make friends from the Lonely Hearts magazines because his career kept him busy with engineering projects. What does that have to do with... <laughs> I don't understand that. But um, in reality, he was a vacuum cleaner salesman. Oh, that's cool. I love vacuum cleaners. <laughs> I mean, you could be a cool vacuum cleaner salesman. I would be. Like selling SIBOs and stuff. Yeah. But um, when they met for the first time, he carried a large bouquet of flowers and stayed in her home for five days. Once I saw this dude, though, I'd have to tell him to go I know, on. <laughs> I know. He's so ugly. Um. Asta told neighbors that he was an old friend of the family's. Harry left on June the 27th, 1931, and Asta told friends that she was going east on a business trip. There's a lot of business trips going on. Yeah. She left the children with a, um, I would assume a caretaker or something like that, named Elizabeth Abernathy. Five days later, a letter came from Asta saying that she would be staying there indefinitely and that her friend Cornelius could come and collect the children. He arrived, checked the house, then collected the children and traveled from Illinois to West Virginia. The house in Park Ridge was locked and they never went back to it. A few weeks later, though, Harry came back to the house and came with the removal company. The neighbors called the police, and when they arrived, Harry introduced himself as Cornelius per Perkin. Okay. Perkin up. Yeah. Perkin Nastro turf. What? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. He said that Asta had moved to Colorado, and he had come back to settle her affairs. He wrote a letter that looked like Asta's handwriting saying that he had paid her property taxes and mortgage and came back to tidy up the house and prepare it for renters. The removal company gathered the large household items but left the smaller things like clothes. Harry then locked the house up and left. For the neighbors, it looked um, very suspicious, telling them that she went east but then telling the police that she went west to visit relatives. They followed this up with the police, and they decided to look more closely at what was going on. He had told the police that he was from Fairmont, West Virginia, but when police investigated, no one there had ever heard of Cornelius Perkin. 
<laughs> oh, gosh, that's funny. Featured an awesome name. Yeah. They decided to talk to friends um, of the family and came across a friend of 14-year-old Greta. She said that she had received a letter from her telling the wonderful vacation in Colorado, but the letter showed it was from Clarksburg, West Virginia. The police went to Clarksburg, and still the police could not find Cornelius Perkin. They got a break when the woman working at the post office informed them that Cornelius received a large amount of mail, most of which were written by women, and the man who rented the post box went by the name of Harry Powers. It's like Austin Powers. Yeah, it is. It is. Police wanted to talk to this Harry Powers, (laughs) so they (laughs) arrested him and brought him in for questioning. He stated, There must be some mistake. Nothing has happened to Asta, at least as far as I know. I put her on a train to Denver weeks ago. I understood that she was going to marry a man named um, Charles Rogers. He told the police that he ran a small matrimonial agency. The police went to Power's property and learned that he had built a garage months earlier with concrete and no windows. It was a mile away from where he and his wife lived which made it look suspicious. When the police went into the garage, it was divided into several small cells, each with the locking door. They also found women's and children's clothing and a trap door that opened into a dark, narrow tunnel. Inside, they found jewelry, clothes, and other items, some which belonged to Asta and her children. On August the 28th, 1931, Police found four bodies around where the garage was buried in a shallow grave. The bodies were were um, Asta and her three children. Asta was blindfolded, and all three were tied up, and their heads had been crushed by some kind of blunt object. A day later, they found the body of another woman in the garage, who was 50-year-old Dorothy Limp. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) From Northborough, Massachusetts. And had gone missing in July, just like Asta. Dorothy's story carried similar attributes to Asta's. She met Cornelius, a.k.a. Harry, in a Lonely Hearts magazine, and he went to her Massachusetts home, just like Asta. She then withdrew $5,000 from her saving and sold $8,000 in stocks. Then in July 1931, she told friends she was going to live with Cornelius at his farm in Iowa, but was never seen alive again. The police searched the Powers' home and found a chest with more than a hundred letters from widowers, and this led police to believe that he had been operating this marriage scam for more than a decade. They also found film and a camera, which had pictures of his latest victim, Dorothy, and Harry together. Harry confessed to the five murders at the police station. He said that he took Asta to his farm, locked her up, then made her write the letter as he went back to pick up the children. He brought the children in one by one and hung them from the rafters, including Asta. Um, Dorothy arrived a day after the children and was left in the garage. He later hung her as well. It is believed that Harry 
had killed many before this, and when police asked him, um, had he killed before, he simply shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't know. Oh, my. Yeah. Um, other women came forward with their stories about Harry um, after he was put in the newspaper. S. Uh, I th- okay, wait, wait. Uh, uh. S- <laughs> I think that is for Essa Stores from New York said that her wedding with Harry had been planned for the day that Harry was arrested. Other women said that they emptied their bank accounts when Harry proposed, but as soon as he had the money, he vanished. The bank accounts of Dorothy and Asta had been emptied right before the murders. The trial took place on December 7, 1931. The trial took so much media attention, though, that it was moved from the courtroom to the giant um, opera house in Clarksburg. Wow, an opera house for a Yes, trial. yes. Harry was unfazed by all this, and as the trial was going on, he was chewing gum and yawning. It would be called Cornelius and the AstroTurf. <laughs> um, once he took the stand, though, he was crying, saying that his miserable marriage had driven him to seek out women. I doubt that. Yeah. I mean, I don't... A lot of people have miserable marriages, and they go along. They just do just fine. He denied the killings and retracted his earlier confession. The jury deliberated for an hour and a half before reaching a verdict. He was sentenced by death by hanging. Harry did eventually give a confession of the five killings in his cell, but it is estimated he have killed over 50 people. On March 18, 1932, Harry was given a chance to say a last statement in which he replied, no. The trapdoor opened, and Harry Powers fell to his death. And... <laughs> Poor thing. But, um... Did he break his glasses? I mean, I assume that he did, but I mean, this is bizarre mm-hmm. because he actually got the same treatment as the victims did. Yeah. Now, some people might say um, you, ha- you have to put in the mental um, attributes into why they did this, but he had no mental mental problems, so. No, I, no that one, what they were saying is that the people. Yeah, but I'm just saying some people say, oh, yeah, yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah, he was and, just dumb. He was just dumb. I mean, well, he just was mean. I mean, you can take into fact that he was aggressive and problematic but that doesn't really lead no, a I person mean, to kill five people oh no no he was he was perfectly sane so i believe that was justice but he was just greedy and yes yeah yep. all that he wanted was the money so that was it yeah okay well that's all i've got well that was a good palate cleanser thank you thank you're you you're welcome thank um you. before we go just another Reminder, please, please, please share us on your um, social media or tell a friend and get the word out. We want this podcast to grow, and yes. we're having a hard time growing it. And give us some comments, too, of like what we can do better. And Yeah, or suggestions or, on how to grow. And I'm not yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. taking the pills that they say on TV. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what's her email? Bad in the... Well, we actually have three. We have bad in the boon. I meant shoot, bad in the boondocks at gmail.com. 
or if you want to email Drew, that is Drew at badintheboondocks.com. Yeah. Or you can email me, Stan, at badintheboondocks.com. Yeah, so if you want a one-on-one conversation with one of us, then email us and we'll get back to you. Yep. That's all we have this week. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time. I've been Stan. And I'm always Drew, but we'll see you next time. See y'all.